Okay, we are in Genesis, Genesis chapter 6, and let's read again verse 5, Genesis chapter 6, verse 5, Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The Lord was sorry that he had made man on earth, and he was grieved in his heart. The Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things and to birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. So we talked about last week how it wasn't just the actions that men did that are wicked. It was that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only on evil continually. And so all of us have within us some understanding of this, how how we have these evil intents. But here... We talked about last time who these Nephilim were and God's intent of purifying the line of human beings of that which had entered the line. And he's going to blot out humankind. He's going to blot, blot them out. But um, he's never going to blot them out again. So human beings have been evil many, many times since then. But he's never blotted them out. There was something in the line of human beings at that time that he had to purify it as we talked about last time. But what I want to focus on this time is, it says, but Noah, in verse 8, found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. This is about Noah. He found favor. It wasn't that he earned favor. Favor is not earned. This word favor is sometimes translated grace, meaning an undeserved gift. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. It wasn't something that he earned. It was something that was given to him. Just because of who he was. There's a passage that's similar to this in Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy, if you look in Deuteronomy chapter 7, Deuteronomy chapter 7, he's speaking to the children of Israel at this point. And he says in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 7, The Lord did not set His love on you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any of the peoples, for you were the fewest of all the people. But because the Lord loved you and kept the oath which He swore to your forefathers. So He says, The Lord did not set His love on you or choose you, because you were more in number than any peoples. And let me separate, pull out that parenthetical expression And go to verse 8, but because the Lord loved you. He didn't set His love on you for anything that you've done. He set His love on you because He loved you. The Lord loved you because He loved you. That's what He's getting at. Just because He loves us. That is the grace that we get. Let me see if I can think of an analogy. I was trying to think this morning, what's an analogy? And here's, here's something. Say you're... You're walking along and you see a puppy that's, that's cold and shivering. And you, you see it there and it, it, it's shivering. And it, it, it's just a little puppy all alone. There is nothing that that dog has done to warrant your love. But immediately, many of you, your hearts would just melt. And you'd pick up this puppy. And you care for this puppy. Even though the puppy has done nothing for you, done nothing to deserve your love, but just because there's a puppy there shivering. 
there's something in us that stirs our hearts that goes out to that puppy. This is the way God looks on us. Not because of anything that we have done, but because He just extends His favor to us. And that's exactly what was extended to Noah. It wasn't that Noah had done anything to deserve this favor. You know, we, we, might, we might argue that, well, Noah walked in obedience to the Lord. No, but, but verse 8 comes before verse 9. Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord in Genesis chapter 6. He found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Grace is something that is extended to us by God just because we're shivering little puppies. And He cares about us. Nothing that we have earned. But now, our love for Him is manifest on the way we respond to His commands. That He loves us is already a sure thing. That's already a done deal. He's already demonstrated that to us. So, so if you look in, in Genesis, I'm sorry, in, in, in the Gospel according to John, John chapter 15, John chapter 15, verse 9. John chapter 15, verse 9. Jesus said, Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Just like that. He doesn't say, Because you obey me, therefore I love you. He says, Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Just because you're a shivering puppy, helpless, there is nothing good that you have done for me. I just love you. I just love you. That is grace. Grace is something that can't be earned. If you earned it because of your obedience, it's not grace anymore. If the puppy, you know, brought you your shoes, brought you your newspaper, then okay. Then he's done something to deserve your love in response. But just a shivering puppy, just totally unaware that even a person is nearby. Your grace goes out to them. That is what he's talking about. Just as the Father has loved me, I have also loved you. Now he says, abide in my love. Abide in my love. Stay within my love. Well, how do you stay within, within your love? He says it right there in verse 10 of John chapter 15. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I've kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. That God loves us is a total act of grace. Nothing there. But how we respond to that act of love is our demonstration to Him of whether we love Him in return. That's the demonstration. He says, if you keep my commandments, you'll abide in my love. In, in John chapter 14, so the chapter before that, John chapter 14, verse 23. Jesus said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. So, he measures our love for him by the way we keep his word. By the way we keep his commandments. He loves us just because we're shivering puppies. Just because we are there. He extends favor to us. Our response to him is the next phase. So say you, you pick up that puppy and you're like, what a wonderful little, oh, poor little thing. And you wrap up this puppy in a blanket and you, know, you take this puppy home and, and 
every time you go near that puppy, he bites you. And you try to train him in your house to, to, to housebreak him, and he doesn't care. He just does whatever he wants, whenever he wants. And he just tears up your couch. You say, no, 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 don't do that. And he bites you, and then he tears up your couch again, right in front of you. You know, after a while, you're going to be like, you need to go to that place where they take stray dogs. And you dogs kind of disappear after a couple of weeks if nobody picks you up. You need to go to that place. How we respond to God is the demonstration of our love to Him and how we keep our commandments is the way He says, I am gauging this. That's what you see here in, 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 uh, in Genesis chapter 6. Noah found favor in the eyes of God. Favor comes before anything else. Now you see in verse 9, these are the records of the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time. Noah walked with God. This is the first time the Bible is saying such a thing. Now Enoch walked with God, but to say that he was a righteous man, blameless in his time. The same thing was said, for example, of Job. But here is this, it says, Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time. But remember, favor, grace, came before any of this. It's not something you can earn. That initial favor from God, that grace, is not something earned. That is just the, the cold, wet puppy. Now, what is the response of this? His response is, he was a righteous man. He tried to do well. He was a righteous man, blameless in his time. That doesn't mean he never sinned. It doesn't say he was sinless. What this means is he offered up offerings, the burnt offering, when it was needed. He sought forgiveness. Remember, God had spoken to Cain many generations before. That there is, there is, there is an offering that you could have taken. There's an offering available to you. He says, these are the records of the generation of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time. Noah walked with God. This thing of walking with God, Enoch, we know, walked with God, it says. This is an amazing response. How we respond to God. And it's according to the keeping of His commandments. That's how He gauges our love in response to Him. That's the gauge of it. Not the initial love. The initial love is only purely out of grace. Then it says in verse 10, Noah became the father of three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now in verse 11, Now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God, and the earth was filled with violence. God looked on the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. Then God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. And behold, I am about to destroy them with the earth. Remember, just above it says that God was sorry that He had made man. But remember, God was never sorry. Never says He was sorry that He redeemed man. God has redeemed us. God is never going to destroy the earth again with all the people in it like, like this. And He says that there was something going on at that time, something that entered the line of human beings that He was going to cut off to be sure that that line would never find its way into His Son that was to be born. So God says He's going to destroy all flesh for the earth is filled with violence 
And behold, I'm about to destroy them with the earth. Verse 14, Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood, and you shall make the ark with rooms and shall cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you shall make it. The length of the ark shall be 300 cubits, its breadth 50 cubits, its height 30 cubits. And you shall make a window for the ark and finish it to a cubit from the top and set the set the door of the ark in the side of it and you shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. Behold, I, even I, am bringing the flood of water upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life from under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall perish. But I will establish my covenant with you and you shall enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. And every living thing that... Thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every kind into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female, of the birds after their kind, of the animals after their kind, of every creeping thing of the ground after its kind. Two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. And as for you, take for yourself some of all food which is edible and gather it to yourself, and it shall be for food for you and for them. Thus Noah did according to all that God had commanded him, so he did. This verse 22. Noah did according to all that God commanded him, so he did. Noah did according to all that God commanded him, so he did. Noah did according to what God commanded him. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. This is now Noah's expression of Noah's love back to God. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. There is something that happens to a person when they are saved. There is a desire now to not disappoint God. It's not that we never fail Him. But there's this desire to please Him. If you do not know that desire, ask God to enter your heart. If you do not know that desire to please Him. I don't want to disappoint my Father. I don't want to disappoint Him. There's many people I don't want to disappoint. I don't want to disappoint my wife. I don't want to disappoint my children. I don't want to disappoint my bosses in the university. I don't want to disappoint them. I don't want to disappoint the Lord. I want to please Him. Noah did according to all that God commanded him, so he did. It took him a hundred years to build this ark. Noah was busy. He and his sons built this ark. They were busy for a hundred years building this ark. Now, is this just a bunch of allegorical nonsense? Maybe this is just pure allegory. Well, let's, let's think about that. Let's, I want to look at a few New Testament verses. I want to look at, at Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. Let's see what Jesus had to say about this. Luke chapter 17, verse 26. And just as it happened, Jesus says, just as it happened, not just as the allegory talks about. Jesus said, and just as it happened in the days of Noah, it will also be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating, they were drinking, they were marrying, they were being given in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. It was the same as happened in the days of Lot. They were eating, they were drinking, they were buying, they were selling, they were planting, they were building. But on that day that Lot went out from Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. It will be just the same on the day that the Son of Man is revealed. When Jesus returns, it's going to be just the same way. 
When that rapture comes, and we are taken up, it's going to be just the same way. When destruction then follows, it's going to be just the same way. Jesus said, and just as it happened in the days of Noah. Well, maybe Jesus was wrong. You mean Jesus believed that allegory and thought it was really true? Yeah, he thought it was really true. You say, that's silliness. I'm too sophisticated for that. Fine, you're going to die and this book will remain. All right? This book will remain. The New Testament does not talk of this, does not speak of this as an allegory. Sure, there are allegorical things in the Bible, for sure. This one, it does not speak of it in that way. Look in 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter, chapter 3. We'll pick it up from verse 18. For Christ also died, 1 Peter 3.18, For Christ also died for sins, once for all, the just for the unjust, so that He might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. Jesus died for your sins once for all. Jesus died for your sins. Verse 19, In which He also went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison, who once were disobedient, when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah, during the construction of the ark, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through the water. The New Testament does not speak of that as a bunch of allegorical nonsense. Or maybe just, maybe Jesus dying for your sins is also allegory. Maybe that never happened either. Jesus doesn't speak of this. The Word of God speaks of this as being true. Turn to 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 2. We'll pick it up at verse 4. 2 Peter chapter 2 verse 4. For God did not spare angels when they sinned. That's talking about the fallen angels that we talked about last time. But cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment. And He did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness with seven others, when He brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. Again, He speaks of this as if it really happened. Let's see again what Jesus had to say about this. Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24, verse 37. For, it, for the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. So, this is spoken about in a different way. If we go back to Genesis chapter 6 now. Genesis chapter 6. When he describes the dimensions of this ark, this, it, it says in verse 15 of Genesis chapter 6, 300 cubits. That's approximately 450 feet long, 75 foot wide, 45 feet high. It has 1,500,000 cubic feet, 95,700 square feet of floor space if you consider the three levels that it spoke of. Um, it, is, it is estimated that it would be 43,000 tons, although we don't know what gopher wood is. We, we, so it's to, we're, we're taking this, this translation. We, they don't have an identified. Now, this is important to a material scientist because different types of wood have different strength and different ability, different modulus and, and different ability to, 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 to be load-bearing. But this wood it was estimated to be 43,000 tons. 
it would be able to fit 550 livestock cars. So you look at these train cars, 550 train car loads. It could fit uh, 130,000 sheep. All right, so you say, well, you know, there are some animals bigger than sheep, but a sheep is about an average size animal. So a sheep is not an elephant, but a, a sheep is not a chipmunk either. All right? Um, so the animals that are estimated that would have to go in because it says according to their kind, you can talk about families, you can talk about species. It's not known what the direct translation of that is. That is estimated to be, not my estimate, scholars' estimates, 35,000 to 70,000 animals. When you see that in chapter 7, he says of the clean animals, you're to take seven. It's not sure if it's seven pairs or seven so, so three pairs plus one, or seven pairs. So you're between 35,000 and 70,000 animals. Uh, uh, it's estimated that about half of the ark would, would, would contain animals. And then you'd have the rest of that for food and for, for, for insects and, and, and whatever else there are. Now, you say, this is, this is really hard to imagine. Now, I have read a lot about this this week, just planning for this. I have read the people who think this, this is utter nonsense. And you can read books on how this could never have worked. Could never have worked. Then you can read other books on how this works just fine. So where do you want to stand on this? Depends what you read last is probably where you're going to come out. But I take the word of God as what it says because I have found it to be reliable. The New Testament does not speak of this as being solely allegory. Now, many people will say, so there are huge logistical problems. The only way you can imagine that this works is that this is a miracle. So all those who say that this couldn't work will say, they'll, they'll give you the fact that these animals came and they piled into the ark. They'll give you that. Well, why do you give that? I mean, how do you get a bunch of animals to enter into the ark? Now, the doorway is 20 feet wide. It doesn't say here, it's just that, that, that there are observations because there is this petrified ark on the Mount Ararat to, that you can look on the internet of pictures of this thing. Huge vessel that has these dimensions. And it's petrified and, and, uh, uh, and, and so you can actually see, so you can just search this on the internet. So all this is there. This was first seen by a, by a, a, a Russian aviator and his co-pilot in the 1950s, I think it was 1955, was the first who spotted this thing. And he was the one that wrote the report that the, the doorway was about 20 feet wide, but the doorway was missing. So this is a big doorway. So how do you get all in there? This had to be miraculous from A to Z, from beginning to end, from top to bottom. You don't get animals to just come in and start loading up unless God is sovereignly working on them. If he's working on them, they know where to go. And so some of the logistical things. How do you deal with... So you, you have to have all of this food in there. enough to, Now remember, some of these animals are carnivores. They don't eat vegetables. Can you imagine the lions walking in there? They're like licking their chops. <laughs> this is going to be like a smorgasbord here. We're going to be in this thing. There's all this meat to eat. How do you control the lions and the tigers? This is, has to be a miracle from beginning to end. They've estimated the amount of dung that would come from this thing and how it would have to be brought up to the top level to be then discarded. 
very hard to imagine how Noah and his three sons and his three daughter-in-laws and his wife, eight people, could do this all day. They're in that ark for a year. Remember, the rains came for 40 days, but they were in that ark for, for almost a year. It wasn't, it wasn't until 150 days that the, that the thing settled out. So they're in the, in the ark for almost a year. It's a long time. The exercise of the animals. You look at all these things. And then there's, there's other complexities of this. When you, have, when you have the earth splitting open, so it wasn't just rains from above, it said the, the springs were opening up. All the springs open, so water's coming up from the ground, rain's coming down from above. People have studied this ark, and they say, yes, that size ark, those dimensions, would, would be great at floating. It would be directionless, but, you know, if the earth is covered in water, where are you going to go anyway? <laughs> You're just floating there. We're not given the details. God doesn't just say, build, build an ark 450 feet by, by 75 feet by 45 feet. He had to give him specifications. There's a lot there that goes unreported, and that happens all the time in the Bible. You get a little snippet. He must have been giving a lot of information. What does no one know about building arcs? Nobody had ever built an ark before. It wasn't until the mid-1800s that a wood ship this size had ever been built. So this is happening 4,000 years ago. How could this happen? How could this be? So you look at all of these things. Then you think of the thermodynamics of the earth. When you have that much activity going on on the earth and that much water coming out. And so they estimate, you know, you, you would be heating up large amounts of water. Well, you have a lot of water. Water has a very high heat capacity. It can absorb a lot of heat. So there's a lot of upheaval going on in the earth. Other problems that are legitimate problems. So many Christians will argue, yes, there was a flood, but it was a local flood. It was local to that region and not covering the entire earth. Because how do you get, you know, sloths going to this thing? Sloths are very slow moving. How do you get them, you know, getting called to the earth? I don't know. I have no idea. Unless it's miraculous from beginning to end. And so now when the waters settle, now you have all these continents in place. And so how do, how do these unique species get to Australia? You know, how, how does this happen? How do you have a Galapagos island with these, these unique species that if there was anything else that invaded that island, you, know, you, you let a, a couple of pigs go on one of those islands, they're going to take over. A couple of pigs or a couple of rats, that's it. I mean, they take over anything. Lots of questions. I have no idea. But I trust the Word of God. Some people will say, so it had to have been a local flood. Maybe. Maybe it was. But the word flood here for Noah's flood throughout the Hebrew Scriptures is different than every other flood. The word flood in the New Testament, this uh, catastrophe-derived word, is different for Noah's flood than for anything else in the New Testament. So even a different word is used for this. This had to have been, even if you take it as a localized flood, even though God said He was going to destroy all the flesh on the earth, even if you were to take it as a localized flood, you have to have, have a miracle upon miracle from beginning to end. But remember, the naysayers will dismiss many things. 
Let's say when the children came out of Israel, when Israel came out of, uh, I'm sorry, came out of Egypt going back into the promised land, that there could not have been several million people. That the desert never could have sustained several million people. Well, I'll tell you, you look over that desert and it is surprising that anyone can live in that desert. Even, a, you know, one or two people. It is so foreboding when you look in that desert. But there are people who live there. There's people who know how to live there. I mean, there's no way I could live there. Like in a day, I'd be dead. There are people that know how to live there. They say it couldn't have been 2 million. You know, their numbers were off. It was probably more like 20,000 people. They were off by, you know, a few orders of magnitude. No, they know how to count very well. I mean, you, you look at the Hebrew Scriptures, they're counting all the time. They didn't miss orders of magnitude in their counting. They will say it never could have sustained them. Well, God was working a miracle every day. It said He was sending forth manna from heaven for six, for, for, for six days in a week. And on the seventh day, on the sixth day, He would send double for the next two days so they didn't have to gather. God worked miracles. God brought out water from a rock, it says. God did this. The naysayers will try to do away with every miracle. This was a miracle from top to bottom. I think this is the most amazing miracle in the Bible. Resurrection is easy. It's easy. It's a singular little thing. It's not like you have to change massive things around the earth. To, I mean, here you got tectonic shifts going on. I mean, this is huge. Big, big changes here. I believe the Word of God. If you take it as a localized flood, fine. I'm not trying to change you. Remember, I don't want to change you for anything. You stay whatever you are. The only thing I want to see you change to is to understanding that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He's died for your sins and He's risen from the dead for your sins. That's what He's done to forgive you of your sins. That's the change that has to come over you. Whether you believe that this is a localized flood or a worldwide flood, even a localized flood, remember, you've got to have a lot of faith for that thing. You're piling in tens of thousands of animals into this thing, a bunch of these being carnivores. Uh, it's like, you know, the lions are going to they're gonna go after the pachyderms and just, just have a feast on day one. And, you know, all these smaller animals are going to be like, and our derve tray to these carnivores. You've you, you got to have tremendous faith, even if you have a localized flood. So why not just go for the full thing anyway? Because this could only be with a massive amount of faith. The New Testament does not speak of this as being allegorical. Jesus, who has made all things, does not speak of this as being an allegory. He speaks of this as being true. So, like I said, you can read books on those who take this and believe worldwide flood. You can read books on take this and believe it was a localized flood. You can take books and read about how none of this ever could have happened. This is just, just fairy tale. So take what you want. But those that say that this is fairy tale say the rest of my Bible is fairy tale also. Once you have God, God stands outside of space and time. He can do 
whatever He wants. Once you have God, it's game on for anything. Anything God can do. A resurrection is easy compared to these sort of things. And this is what He's talking about. The take-home lesson for us today is, thus Noah did according to all that God had commanded him, so he did. God's favor looks upon you. God's favor looks upon you, comes upon you. The Word of God comes and it testifies of these things. So we're going to wrap up with just a couple verses from the New Testament. Look in in Romans. Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, verse 23. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. All of us are like this little, little shivering puppy. And God comes and He extends love to us. We are totally undeserving. Look in, in Romans chapter 5, the chapter before, verse 8. But God demonstrates His own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died for you. Christ died for you. What will you do in response to His death for you? Will you seek to obey Him? Jesus said, if you love me, you will obey me. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If you have no desire to keep the commandments of God and obey Him, question whether you've ever really received God. There are people in your life you want to please. You do not want to do them wrong. If you have not that desire for the Lord, then there's a problem there. He's calling you to worship Him and to serve Him. If you are unable, unable to serve the Lord and obey Him, call out to God today. Say, Lord, come into my life. Forgive me because I am a sinner. You've extended Your hand of grace to me and come into my life. Call upon Him so that you would be saved. Let's pray. Father, I thank You so much for Your Word. You are so good. Lord, I pray that You would take these young people and get a hold of their hearts, that they would trust You and trust Your Word. Father, that they would trust You and trust Your Word. Lord, I pray that You work in their lives, that the mercy and the grace of God would be there that they would love you and love your word. Because from beginning to end, your word is true. The naysayers will come, the naysayers will go. But your word will remain forever. Lord, I trust you. And I trust your word. And I trust the words of Jesus and what he spoke. Lord, I thank you. Father, take these young people and build them up in you. And Father, for those here who do not know you, those here who have never given their lives to Jesus, I pray that this day they would say, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me because I am a sinner and come into my life. And I pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.